Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this evening, is Mark chapter 2. Um, every first Sunday of the year, I, I like to take that Sunday to ask God what he might be saying over us specifically as a church, over our specific church in that coming year. And um, the past few years, I, I started doing this about three years ago. It's been that, if you've been here from the beginning, I mean, it's been three years um, since we planted. Uh, every single year, there's been this sense that I've had for that year, this year's gonna be kind of like this, I think. And I've talked about it. And lo and behold, that year tends to produce a lot of that thing. So the first year, um, that, actually the first year that I was supposed to do this, I think we got snowed in. And so we actually didn't have our gathering. I was going through like my notes, um, going through like uh, all of my files today. And I was like, where was that first of the year sermon for 2019? Wasn't there. Um, but the last two years, I talked about um, the, the, uh, 2020 being the year of freedom. It's pretty funny, lockdowns. Uh, but... <laughs> What we found in, in, in our church, and I don't know what it was like for you, but we found that a lot of people got free from things that had held them uh, down, that had, whether it was fear or whether it was um, idolatry, whatever, there was a lot of freedom that happened. Uh, last year, we talked about it being the year, 2021, the year of healing. And we would see um, just tons of healing happen in our church, and we did. In fact, over the last couple months, we've seen almost every single week there has been reported healings that have taken place, just incredible things happening here in our church, um, just wonderful stuff. And so I wanted to take some time this year to address what I think this year is going to look like for the church. Um, but we kind of did it a little bit differently. We invited all of you to join us in that as well. So um, a week ago, exactly, we did not gather together here. Um, if you did show up, I'm sorry that you're just now finding out about us not gathering last week. Um, but we asked you to take some time and to listen to God for two different things. We asked you to listen to God for what, out of our 10 core values, what value he was highlighting for this coming year? Is there a, out of the 10 core values, was there a specific one that he was bringing to mind for you? Um, but then we also asked you just to listen generally. What was your general sense for our church in 2022? And many of you guys uh, gave us feedback. If you haven't given us feedback, if you haven't emailed us yet, hello at saintshill.church. That's the email to send uh, your stuff to. Please send it in. I've just got so encouraged. I'm gonna read some of them uh, this evening as well. But just so encouraged by you guys taking taking time to listen. And a lot of this message is even inspired by some of the things that I read. So um, to start, let's start in Mark chapter two and let's begin in verse 18. It says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting but your disciples are not. 
Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> Somebody else is doing something they think is really important. They think you should do it also. Jesus answered, <laughs> I mean, isn't that the spirit, of, the spirit of religion? The spirit of religion is uh, my convictions apply to everyone else. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old when it shrinks, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here through these metaphors? <laughs> Thank you, Peyton. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I've ever told, where's, where's Peyton? Raise your hand real fast. Okay, there you are. I, I have never told you this, but I think oftentimes you're, you're the voice of the church. Nobody else wants to say what you're saying, but you say it, and then I'm like, okay, I think that's where generally people are at. Um, here, here's, what I think, here's what I think Jesus is saying in this passage. I think he's saying do you know how to live appropriately? Or, or maybe another way to say it would be, do you know how to live in the correct season? Do you know how to live in congruence with the season that God has you in? Or are you like an unshrunk piece of cloth with a shrunk piece of clothing? Like an old wineskin when that season calls for new wine. Here's the metaphor. In both cases, the case of the wine and the wineskin and the case of unshrunk cloth and shrunk cloth, I'm only gonna say that like a few, few more times, so bear with me. Uh, we have two items that don't work together. These are two items that, that do not, they, they're incongruent. They can't function together. And specifically tonight, I'm gonna talk about the wine metaphor. I think the, uh, the shrunk uh, cloth and unshrunk cloth metaphor has its own lesson um, that's a little bit different or just a different take on what we're gonna talk about tonight. But tonight, I wanna talk about this wine idea. What he's saying is new wine, in other words, wine that is still fermenting, wine that is still um, uh, pr producing bubbles and, it's, it, and carbonation, new wine needs to expand in whatever it's placed in. But old leather wine bags, which is what they used to keep wine in, these leather, I looked them up, I, did, I spared you a photo because they were so disgusting. They're like old pig's you know, skin with like the, 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 the legs still and they like use the legs as like the handle. You're like, okay, <laughs> we're not doing that anymore. We figured out a way to get away from the legs as a handle thing. Um, <laughs> it's like those old wine bags they do not have the capacity to expand because they've already expanded in their proper use and become hard and rigid. <laughs> so you need 
a new wine bag with new unexpanded leather to be able to handle the new wine that's going to expand. <laughs> it's a metaphor. What, what, what is he saying? He, he, he's saying in this context, there are some people who are fasting, but because of the presence of Jesus with his disciples, the season they're in, they're not fasting. So here's the point. Next slide. How do you stay in step with the things God is doing in a given season? You need forms and structures, ways of doing things and methods that reflect or are appropriate for the time. Don't, don't forget the very, you're like, sometimes in, in church we go, form, structure, bad. The answer to misuse is not non-use, it's correct use. The very first time somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know what their job is? The very first time in the entire book of the, in the entire Bible, somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, it is the person who was tasked with designing the temple of God. The Spirit was on him. I would put forth to you that the very first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit was somebody designing a structure that God intended to fill. Structures are not the problem, it's the appropriate structure for the appropriate season. Oh, we, see, we're not fasting because the bridegroom is with us. So there's a structure, a method, a way of life that is reflecting the season that we're in. So in God's wisdom, it's so bizarre, but this is the partnership thing. We talk about this all the time. In God's wisdom, he chooses people to build structures that are appropriate to handle his presence to the degree and measure he chooses for a given season. Like, could he choose me? Yeah, he could choose you. He probably will choose you. In God's wisdom, he chooses people to design and build structures, ways of life, or actual like, we're building this community group or we're building this church or we're building this ministry or I'm gonna do my job differently because there's something he intends to pour out. There's a new measure of wine that he wants to pour out and the structure I was using before, the way of thinking that I was thinking before, the method that I approached this with before will not be appropriate for the new season, for the new thing. So this is one of the questions of my life. How do you get ready for the new thing? That really is almost like the driving question of Saints Hill Church. How do, we, how do we live appropriately for what God intends to do in this town? It's all in response, all in response. And in order to do that, here's what I wanna put forth to you tonight. In order to be prepared for the new thing, you need to ask why a lot. You need to ask why a lot. We need to ask why about many of the things that we do and many of the things that we believe in order to discover if we have any old wineskins that just won't suffice for the new wine he intends to pour out. You have to ask why. So here's my general sense. This isn't thus saith the Lord. This is my general sense for 2022. The year of 2022 will be the year of why for our church. The year of distillation. In fact, I, as I was um, writing this message, I got the image of, a, of a, a piece of meat, a steak that had been cooked, and somebody cutting off the fatty parts before they enjoyed the steak. That is the year that we're in. <laughs> Getting to the core. Why do we do that? Oh, I think that's fat. Let's cut that out. 
Why do we believe that? That's a hill we're dying on. Should we be dying on it? I think that's fat. Let's cut that out. I think that this year will be the year of why for individuals, for you as an individual, why do you do this in your, in your job? Why do you think this way about that person? Why do you believe this? Is this, is this really worth dying for, on this specific thing? And I also think it will be the year of why for our church. What, what, why do we do church that way? Is that actually how we should do church? Or are there other ways to go about accomplishing the same goal? Why? Why is that an emphasis? And I want to invite you on this journey. In fact, this is a very vulnerable thing for me to even do. I could say, I don't want you to ask the question why. Just trust me. (laughs) We're doing the right thing. But this church is not about me or my comfort. It's about how do we make sure we don't have any old wineskins so that when God wants to pour himself out, he, he finds a vessel worth pouring himself into. I want to invite you on this journey to ask why. We may come to conclusions um, that what has been built in your life personally or, or in our church should remain. I think in many cases we probably will. Yeah, no, no, that, that actually makes sense. That accomplishes it, the goal that we are after in the contextualized setting that we've been given by God. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But asking why keeps us in step with the Spirit because it opens us up just for a split second to the voice of the Spirit. Is this actually what he's doing? Let's just listen. Let's pause. Is this really what he's saying? And so tonight, I want to talk a little bit about two issues, uh, specifically for the church, but I think they're going to relate to your life as well. Two issues that if you imagine this church as a, as a, as a, a, a seafaring vessel, these are two issues that if we don't get these issues right, the rudder of the ship will be off just a little bit and we will not go where we are designed to go. We will not, okay, well, here we go. Was that Peyton or was that somebody else? Okay, not you, somebody else. Okay, yes, the other vociferous one. Yeah, Peyton's friend. Um, (laughs) Here's what I wanna talk about tonight. I wanna talk about our theology and I wanna talk about our church methods. I wanna talk about our theology that we, that we have, asking why about our theology. It's kind of a scary thing to do, especially for those who are older. No, 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 this is just the way that it is. This is the right thing. Let's ask the question why again. And also, I wanna ask the question why uh, about some specific things in our church. So first, asking why in our theology, asking why in our theology. Uh, recently, I've been just witnessing another um, church implosion uh, not here, but in another church, where <laughs> you're like, wow, really? Um, no, I've been witnessing another church implosion where a leader's folly just leaves this trail of mess. People's lives just ruined. And someone uh, interviewed somebody who was a part of this church implosion in this mess, and they interviewed them about, about this uh, specific um, moment in their lives, and this is what this person said. They said, I'm deconstructing everything right now. And all I have left that is solid is Christ again. There's a good deconstruction. And it's the deconstruction. See, I find, you know, this word is kind of a buzzword in evangelicalism, deconstruction. I find that people do not deconstruct relationship with Jesus. They deconstruct the church or interpretations of the scriptures. It's not actually a deconstruction of, yeah, I really encountered God. He was so amazing, but I'm just deconstructing him. No, no, no. It's I'm deconstructing the people who represented him. 
I'm deconstructing what I'd been taught, but wasn't allowed to ask why about. And so I love this guy's, you know, as I, as I listened to this, I thought, oh, it was like a breath of fresh air in the middle of this kind of, you know, implosion. I thought, that is such a good deconstruction. Why do I believe that? Why did we do that? Why was that celebrated? And I've, all I've come down to is Christ is solid. That's the only thing. This is the purity that I'm after this year. In fact, this is what Paul talked about when he got to Corinth. This is what he said uh, about his time in Corinth. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, make note of that, but on God's power. Now, if you know, I don't know if you know this, but Paul goes from Athens to Corinth. Do you remember what he, what the last interaction he had on record was in Athens? It was him on Mars Hill. And he was debating philosophically with these, um, these sophists, these philosophers in Athens. He was doing what the Athenians do. And he was not very fruitful. And so the next stop is Corinth. And reflecting on his time in Corinth, he's like, I had a different approach. I had a different strategy with you. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. There is a temptation, clue in with me just for just a moment, there is a temptation with the ever-increasing complexity of modern life, the moving of reality from the physical to the internet, the availability of information and philosophical takes on what actually is abundant life, there's a temptation with all of those things to reduce Christianity down to a collection of philosophical thoughts to be brought into the public arena for battle against the postmodern philosophies of our day. We're seeing this even in our own town. Let, let, me just put, let me just say this. This is a mistake to treat Christianity this way. It's not a mistake because you've done something wrong. It's a mistake because it's a category error. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's a person. So we need to ask ourselves questions about our theology to make sure that Christ is the main thing. I, I think we can drift from what the church was supposed to be when we emphasize or celebrate things that Jesus neither emphasized or celebrated. That we're, we're just kind of, that's just general kind of cultural Christianity. That's a good thing. We should emphasize that thing. And it's like, well, when I actually ask, well, why do I emphasize that? Why do I celebrate that? I come to the conclusion that that was not something that Jesus celebrated or emphasized. You're like, how do I, how do I know if I've emphasized things or celebrated things that Jesus has not emphasized or celebrated? How do I know if I'm emphasizing minors and not majors in my theology? Here's how you know. Ask yourself this question. Do you believe that the world's issues would be solved if people just saw things the way that you do? If so, salvation is about what you think, not who you know. 
If you believe that Newberg's problems would be solved if people thought the way that you think, their salvation is about what they know, not who they know. If that's the case, a side issue, a minor, if you will, in your theology, has taken the place of the king. Here's what Paul is getting at. I hope that that silence is conviction. Here's what Paul is getting at. I didn't make it complex because Christ is simple. It's just him. When I was among you, I didn't want you to get confused with the deep philosophies of the Christian faith. I just wanted you to know him. Is that, when you go, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I die on the hills that I die on? Why do I emphasize or celebrate the things that I emphasize or celebrate? When you ask that question, if you ask it enough, you will eventually, as a believer, come to Christ. And he becomes the scalpel that you then use to cut out all of the fat, all of the other things that you've made majors that are actually minors. So here's a question, and I never thought about this question, but I asked myself this question this week. How simple is your theology? How simple is it? I think the health of your theology will be, you can find it by how simple it is. Or is your emphasis, is your theology a philosophy that's based on difficult to interpret passages and cultural influenced readings of texts? I find that a lot of people want me to preach on things that are minors. I have people in our church that will go, if only you could talk more about Revelation. Please, could you talk about end times more? I'm like, well, there's a book of Revelation that you are free to go read, and I should probably talk a little bit more about end times. But I think what you are after is you are after demon hunting. Where could the demon be in my present world? When God said, you should just expect that at the end of the age, which that's what we're in, you will see demons all over the place, so keep your eyes fixed on me. I find that a lot of people, they have very firm stances theologically on specific issues that look a lot like the political party that they align with. And I see this because I see it in me. There's a lot that I think that I'm dogmatic about that is not found in here. (laughs) But I've sanctified it with a reason that I've, through interpretation, pulled out to apply to this specific issue. We should ask why. The year of why. It's a little bit uncomfortable, can you tell? (laughs) You're like, hmm, I I used to like this guy. Uh, Listen, why? Come to Christ. You know, when I find in myself that I've been majoring on a minor, I've been celebrating things that he's not celebrating. Because I'm a son, I don't get down. Because I'm a son, I get to walk to my savior. I get to walk to Jesus and I get to say, this is how I feel. This is what I think. I think this is really important. He just goes, well, tell me why. And we get a conversation. This is what I wanna lead us into in this next year. So our first rudder adjustment or the first new wineskin, if you will, actually my metaphors here, is open my eyes, Lord, to see and understand what is major to you, Jesus, May my life not be about a philosophy. May it be about you. May it be about you. Second wineskin. Asking why about church methods. Asking why about church methods. Um, 
recently, I've begun to, and recently I mean like in the past month probably, I've begun to realize that our church is now at the size, I couldn't tell it when all the Fox kids are gone, but our church is now at the size where it's possible to have a relationship with the organization of Saints Hill rather than the people of Saints Hill. This is a choice for some of you. And I think that 2022 should be a year where you choose to stop having a relationship with the organization and you start getting to know the people around you. But I'll say this. The rest, that's my only critique on you. Here's my critique on the church. You ready? Um, it's left me very reflective over the holiday. Uh, and I mean, really, like, actually going and looking at, like, what, why do we do what we do? And has Saints, how, what have we built Saints Hill on? And is Saints Hill effective in its mission as a church? And my desire, I guess I just want to say this, my desire is for you to be family. Um, when we say the church is a family, a, there's probably a number of you that's like, you don't know me, and I don't know you. When I say the church is a family, I don't say it because that's what I see already. I say it because of, it's a theological and prophetic reality that when Jesus taught us to pray our Father, he made us family. So now it's our job as the church to get out of our comfort zone just a little bit to meet the people around us and to say, wow, God made you family. Hmm. I'm gonna be thinking about how that looks practically for me. Um, that's my desire for you, is that you, this would be family. Um, and so I think that we need to ask, if this is gonna be family, we need to ask why we do what we do and make sure that we are promoting what we want to promote. Do our, if our methods are, are our message, are we promoting the things that we have actually aimed at promoting? I think that, um, and, and I'm gonna just talk about something I never talk about uh, in this section. It's kind of funny, I was, I was telling Jake earlier, I'm like, this is like a talk for church leaders. Like, but I just feel like I'm supposed to talk about it to all of us. I'm like gonna, if you've never worked in a church or never been close to the inner workings of a church, I'm gonna like pull the curtain back just a little bit. Um, I think that the church and I'm not specifically just saying just Saints Hill, I think that the capital C church um, departs from its mission when we take cues on leadership from the metaphor of business instead of family. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, and if you haven't worked in a church, maybe you probably don't know this, but every church ever that you've ever been to has a metaphor that it's running on. You're like, What? Every single church has a metaphor behind the scenes in the way that it sees itself, the way that the leaders see it. So, so there's maybe the metaphor is we're a school. And so the whole church is like, we're a, this is a school for training disciples. That's their metaphor. They're, they're using the metaphor of school when they think about church. Or this is a very popular one, uh, the metaphor of a hospital. We're a hospital. And so our church exists to take care of the sick. I mean, shouldn't the church take care of the sick? That's our metaphor. It's a hospital. But I think that implicitly and subtly for almost every single church in, in the American West is the metaphor of we are an organization. Not even just the metaphor, the reality of the 501c3 that is the nonprofit behind every church. That's what, St. Hill is a nonprofit. And the metaphor that you use, here's what I'm getting at, is the metaphor that you use will determine much of what that church becomes. 
Now, this isn't like, I'm not, this isn't a commentary on business. Business is a good thing. Business has its correct place. But what happens is that we're so culturally conditioned to interact with business organizations that we naturally import our expectations and metrics of business onto the church. Our experience, we think our experience of church should look like these other experiences that I have with other organizations because it's, it's an organization. And, I, and I, I guess I wanna say, I think that the church goes astray to the degree that its methods and metrics reflect the methods and metrics of a business, at least in the West. See, here's the cultural shift that I've seen in the church. And, and COVID just like sped this up super fast. Church has begun to value content production over encounter. Like the church is just a content producer. And because of this, the church has become a place for content consumption instead of becoming one with God and one with others. What I mean is that maybe you've even been here and I'm not even saying like this is bad. I'm just saying this is the cultural milieu that we live in. I think that many treat the church like a subscription service. There are, it's like a Netflix. There are customers who pick a church based upon the content that comes from that subscription. Are they producing the content that I like? Do they have the community groups that I like? Do they have the sermons that I like? Do they have the materials that I like? Do they have the, the personalities that I like? Or is there a better subscription somewhere else? <laughs> You're like, I'm done with Disney Plus. <laughs> You're like, this, this stinks. And here's the thing, two things happen if this is how you approach church. People, the people who approach church this way are changed and the church is changed. People are changed because they become consumers of ideas rather than people who encounter God. So it's like, did they have the right ideas? It's like, oh, it's still a philosophy. And so I'm just wondering, does it have the content that describes the philosophy that I'm after? And then the church changes because this this is just the reality. Church leaders can be afraid of the people that they lead. Something that I've really tried to work through, and I think I've worked through it to a pretty good degree. I'm not terribly afraid of what you think of me, but but there are many church leaders, and this is at times for me, they naturally, because they're being treated like a content producer, then the church goes, well, we better produce really good content or else our customers will leave to a different subscription. (laughs) You're like, dang, I wish you didn't pull the curtain back. (laughs) This is how you're like, why is church so messed up? Because this is how people treat it. And so churches, because they feel this pressure, they begin to perform and they drift from the mission that they had, the mission that was fearless, the mission that led them to plant the church or lead the ministry or whatever it was, and they work to protect what they have through the production of good content instead of the production of disciples. See, I begin to notice that in American culture, we're obsessed with making things repeatable because we're obsessed with making things scalable. We're obsessed with scale in the church, bigger, better. The spontaneous and the, oh, you had to be there, doesn't cut it because you can't package that and distribute it. 
And the church is so tempted by this. Like this is, I mean, this is why uh, Amazon Prime exists. This is why Netflix exists. We have, we, have, uh, we have begun to bundle interaction, bundle goods, bundle uh, content together and get it distributed to people as repeated as we possibly can to scale to incredible sizes. And the church is tempted by this. We love to make things repeatable, whether it's a course or a class or books or programs or discipleship curriculum or sermons or even community groups. How do we repeat? How do we make it repeatable so that we can make it scalable? Why do we do that? Why is that such a focus in the West? Because if content can be repeated, then influence and power of the church is able to be maintained and spread quickly at scale. Much of the church exists, much of the programs within church exist to protect the leaders of the church and the power of the church. I, I remember when we planted, we were writing the bylaws and I had this moment where I realized I, we could build this church to serve us as leaders at the detriment of everybody else and most people wouldn't even blink because that's how most churches are designed. Building a big ministry, if that's the focus, you're gonna crack a few eggs to make an omelet. And that's just how it goes. But we sanctify it with this idea that, hey, the bigger the church, the bigger the ministry, the more scalable it is, the more repeatable content we produce, the more engagement. And we forget that engagement, while it can be measured, does not equal fruit that lasts. Jesus said, I want you to have fruit and fruit that remains. The problem is an old wineskin problem. We develop these wineskins, we develop these ministries, we develop these, these churches, and they become hard and rigid because the method is uh, the most important thing that we have. The personality at the front is the most important thing that we have. And then we all, all we go, how could that church have failed? How could it have imploded? How could it have just completely died? What was it designed to protect? What was it designed to do? These forms and personalities that produce the content become the things that we protect and we codify and that's the definition of holding on to an old wineskin. And there's consequences for this. Some of you have lived through this. There's consequences for this. The focus of the church becomes disparate and global, not local. So you're like, when did we become about that thing? Ah, when we cared about distribution channels more than we cared about the people who are sitting right here. Like, like I'm, I, I'm like, I want crunchy church. I want real, like, like physical church. Like, people are like, do you have an, Jake and I just went on this hunting trip with these other guys from another church, and they're like, do you guys have, like, online services we could check out? We're like, well, we don't, sorry. <laughs> like, I totally forgot, like, oh, yeah, like, we made a choice in 2020 to not live stream, we made a choice to double down on Newburgh, not, not global. We made a choice. You're like, why are they so behind? These are young millennials. I thought they'd be more with it. They shut their Instagram down. Yeah, we made a choice to double down on doing church with you, on knowing people. So, so what happens is that the, the focus of the church becomes disparate, not local. The, the metrics of success are engagement with content, not fruit that lasts. Accountability doesn't exist. Um, being a Christian is to be a content consumer. 
and we send that message if all we produce is content. We celebrate one personality like mine at the expense of leveraging people's gifts to the church or noticing the anointed person but the maybe not marketable person. The people of the church get a relationship with content instead of the people around them. And, and this is why you see so much burnout in church leaders. Burnout is not a biblical idea. He said his yoke is easy, his burden is light. If the yoke is heavy and the burden isn't light, it's probably not his yoke. So what happens though is, is when the church, and this is just like, I'm a church leader, when the church expects good content or they expect a certain experience in the church, they don't see themselves as part of the church, they see the church as an organization, then what happens is as church leaders scramble and, and burn their gears to try to provide and produce the content and the experience that people are after in the American West, then burnout happens because they're taking on responsibility that God didn't give them, they're taking on responsibility that people gave them. The church becomes spectators. And you just go, show me something new. <laughs> and the spirit here's the ultimate consequence the spirit of the critic overwhelms the spirit of the bride I think it's a, it's a good thing to ask like I remember Brian uh, Houston from Hillsong I saw him speak in person one time when I was like 18 years old and I remember he said you can either be a church I, I, I won't even try to do his voice because his voice is so awesome but he's like you can be a church builder I, I, I can't even almost say it without he's like he's like you can be a church builder or you can be a church critic. And who, do you, who are you gonna be? And I was like, I wanna be a builder. I wanna be a builder. And so I just would propose that to you this evening. You can either be a critic, but you will always be a consumer and a customer. Or you can be a builder and then you'll be family. Some of you are like, how do I make this family? You choose to build rather than critique. So I wanna pause for a moment, just for a moment of self-reflection. You know, as I pulled the curtain back to some of the ugly parts of the church, that I'm like, I'm writing this message, I'm like, I've never heard any pastor talk about this from this stage. Oh, what am I doing? Um, as we pull the curtain back a little bit and you see behind it, I want us to ask this question. Why do you think Jesus started the church? Why did he start the church? I wanna be verbally clear on this as we examine our methods. The center of the church is not a personality. The center of Saints Hill is not a personality. It is not about me. And one of the reasons why we promote many other leaders, and, and it just naturally happens now, like I didn't even, wherever Ainsley's at, thank you for doing a great announcement. Ainsley's never been on stage before. I didn't even, Lexi didn't come to me and say, hey, can we have Ainsley on stage? No, we promote other leaders that we trust. Ainsley built trust with Lexi. That's somebody that we're promoting. She's here. <laughs> She's built relationships. She's chosen to be a builder. So there's other people that we promote there's other people that, that lead. I think of Mariah, thanks so much for leading us in offering. We constantly have new people that have built trust with us and they've come alongside and we said, okay, that's somebody that we also, we see God promoting, we wanna promote them. It's, this church is not about a personality. It's not about one person's personality or a group of people's personalities. This church is not a show, which is why you'll often find yourself participating. You're like, why are we always praying for people? And why do I always have to get out of my seat? And why are we always declaring things? And like, can't we just kind of take it easy? Um, well, it's not a show. It's not, the church is not a show. And the center of the church is not self-help, which is why the message, um, hopefully, will always lead to encounter instead of techniques. Instead of you getting your, the latest discipleship techniques, and I just read this book, and you should do what he said in this book, or whatever, like, no, 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 it's about encounter. It's about encounter, it's not self-help.
The center of church is union that produces unity. Here's how Jesus put it in John 17. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, speaking of his disciples, that all of them may be one, unity. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. In our culture, we have a belief about unity uh, that says unity is about what you think. If you would just think differently, then we could have unity. But because you think differently than me, we cannot have unity. But what we learn in the scriptures is that unity with people comes from unity with a person, Jesus You know him, and you will be unified with those who know him as well. This is the aim of church. This is the aim of church. Saints Hill exists to increase relationship between you and God. It isn't a community center. It isn't a club or a place to find friends. Those things may happen, but it is first a place to meet God to remember your first love and everything else flows from that and will not be programmed by us. We've made the strategic decision to not program much of your discipleship because we're interested in what God inspires, not what we thought of. See, Jesus developed family by giving power away. He didn't build a platform and protect it. He gave power away to people who probably shouldn't have had power. Think about how inefficient and messy Jesus' strategy was for um, covering the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. (laughs) Let me just summarize for you. Uh, Jesus chose to be born to the opposite of cultural elites. He was like, I wanna be born to poor people. He He lived in a rural town with no political power or the prospect of potential political power. He befriended stubborn men and prostitutes. He revealed to them the glory of God in his presence and then he hid it from those who were married to their church forms or their old wineskins. He then told these young people that they would change the world. They then went back to their old careers when he died and he still used them to build his church, the church that we're still a part of today. The church does not exist to maintain its organization or its 5013C3 status or its programs. The church is only as valid as it is effective in doing what Jesus did, giving power away. So this is what we will be doing in 2022. And I invite you, humbly, I invite you on this journey with us, asking why we do what we do. And is this what Jesus did? Is this what he intended? All right, let's stand together. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.